Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes live stream podcast. Hopefully you can see us all and hear us. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for spending part of your Saturday with us. Uh, we've been having a few technical difficulties uh, with the connection, but we're glad to uh, be here with you today. Um, our guest, the reason you're all here, uh, has worked on over 200 episodes of television, according to IMDb. Number's probably much higher, but at least that's what the wow. numbers that I, I hand counted on IMDb said. So it's probably more like 300, but um, he was the showrunner and executive producer of such shows as Helix, Pan Am, Miami Medical, and Lie to Me. His previous work experience also includes writing and producing on such series as Lost, The X-Files, CSI Miami, Daybreak, Conviction, Salvation, Unforgettable, Forgotten, Harsh Realm, and many, many more. He's currently joining us live from South Africa, where he's on location working on his latest project, uh, he is the co-showrunner and executive producer of the upcoming live-action Netflix series, One Piece, based on the long-running and massively popular Japanese manga series uh, by the same name, One Piece. Uh, welcome to the show, Stephen Maeda. Thanks for joining Thank us, Thank you Steve. very much. Great to be here. Thank you. So, uh, I just want to get out early on that we had a discussion about this, and unfortunately, we can't really talk about One Piece in any detail because of the fact that Netflix wants to keep everything a surprise, which understandably so, it's it's, it's hugely anticipated series. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk to you, for our, our main audiences, writers, uh, screenwriters, TV writers, aspiring writers uh, who want to break into the industry, wanna learn the craft of writing, uh, the business of writing, that kind of thing, and learn more about you as a writer, as a producer, as a, a showrunner. Um, and, and your background, your influences, all that kind of stuff. Sure. So I guess the first question, uh, which we always like to start off with, is, is uh, back to the beginning. So how did you first fall in love with film and television? When you were growing up, what has it made you want to work in this industry? Um, I mean, growing up, I had a lot of film and television influences, um, certainly watched a lot growing up. My dad, uh, you know, introduced me. He, he is uh, born in Japan, born and raised in Japan, came over here in his 20s. He introduced me to to samurai movies. Um, I watched a lot of television growing up um, and and never really thought of it as, as a career or anything to go mm -hmm. into. It was more like I just enjoyed it. I, I've always enjoyed movies. I've always enjoyed TV. And so I wouldn't say I am one of those people that knew they wanted to be in the entertainment business from early on or knew they wanted to be a writer. It took me, it was a very long and circuitous uh, path. And so early on, what are some of those shows or some of those movies, some of those things that you had seen that really influenced you? Things that you really enjoyed as a kid or as a teenager growing up, you know, like for me, it was Star Wars, but for you, what, what were some of those things that you really fell in love with as a kid? Yeah, I, I definitely, definitely, you know, in my, in my later teens um, and early twenties, uh, you know, got into the Star Wars movies, got into, you know, Raiders and, and all the big uh, action, you know, set piece movies. Um, watched a lot of television growing up, a lot of, um, you know, a, a steady diet of, of Gilligan's Island and Bewitched and, um, you know, the, the, the old comedies and um, uh, didn't really get into the, you know, start watching the classics mm -hmm. until, uh, you know, as, a, as a, I was a young adult. Um, but, you know, I remember going to one of my very earliest memories is going to the Cinerama Dome with my dad to see Ice Station Zebra. 
which was this old, you know, great, you know, kind of rollicking uh, uh, submarine movie about a sub, you know, underneath the ice. And I just, you know, I carry those images uh, in my head, uh, something I remember from, from growing up. And then the samurai movies, I, I remember going with my dad again to see samurai movies and not really understanding them. I, I didn't speak Japanese and, uh, uh, but at the same time, really enjoyed the imagery and, and, and the movies. Mm -hmm. Um, and we are starting to get some questions in the chat, which is great. We'll get to them in just a few minutes. So keep dropping questions in. Um, but so I guess my next question, uh, in terms of your, your history and your background, what was the first industry job you had landed? Not necessarily writing, but uh, although for some people it is writing, but for most people, they, you, you take another job to sort of break into the, the industry. I worked a lot of industry jobs before I started writing. And so uh, coming out of college, I kind of had a feeling that I, I would like the entertainment industry. I didn't know a whole lot about it. Um, I, uh, again, didn't, didn't really know about the business or what the jobs were. I had absolutely no clue. I had no connections. So it was really a case of saying, okay, if I want to work in this business, what am I going to do? Sent a lot of kind of, you know, kind of cold letters applying for jobs. There was not really any job board to speak of. Um, if you didn't have connections. And so just a, a ton of rejections, um, did a lot of, you know, started doing temp work, you know, where you could get a job working um, uh, in the publicity department of, of Canon Films, for example, you know, mm. for a couple of days, just to kind of get a, a, a foot in and, and make some money and do something that was leaning into the entertainment industry. Again, didn't know what I wanted to do until I would say my very first job, um, one which I did not get, at first, and then a couple of months later, they called me up and said, the other person didn't work out, can you come in? Was working in the story library of TriStar Pictures. Oh. Um, and so that was my very first like real job of any length in the entertainment business. And I was the assistant librarian uh, working in the story library, uh, filing coverage, copying scripts, um, and, and basically a lot of filing, but was in the story department that was catering to all of the executives at, at TriStar back in the day. Paying your dues, right? Oh, absolutely. So what was the first sort of writing you had done, whether it was uh, before professional? Like, when did you start dabbling in writing um, and, and putting serious work into that? I mean, not until relatively late. It took me a while. And I kick myself now thinking uh, about, you know, the process, but it was the process and, mm -hmm. and what I went through. And so I thought initially that I was gonna, that I wanted to be a studio executive or a producer. And so I was working kind of, you know, trying to work up the ranks of, uh, you know, in the studio system and failing miserably at it. I was not very good at that job. Um, I, I didn't have a real aptitude for it and wasn't getting anywhere. And, uh, you know, worked as an assistant, worked in the library, uh, the story library, uh, started working as a reader. And that was a job that enabled me to, you know, make my own hours reading scripts. I did that for a couple of years um, while I was trying to figure out what the hell I was going to do. And in the process, probably read around 2000 scripts, mm. um, which, you know, you're, you're reading two to three a day and a novel every once in a while and writing coverage on them. And so that was sort of the, the, the trenches of really kind of figuring out um, uh, what made a good script and what made a bad script. And again, just, you know, I was learning as I went and made as many mistakes as I, as I, you know, made right calls. Um, and then the thing that really got me rolling was one of our fellow readers was a guy by the name of Mike France, who ended up writing the, the ended up writing cliffhanger. And I remember being 
just so pleased for him and so shocked and talking to him and saying, Mike, what, you know, th this is so cool. I had no idea you knew how to mountain climb and, you know, cause I read his script and he's like, Oh, I don't, I, I just researched that. I went to the library and looked it all up. And I was like, really? That's, you know, and, and from that point I was like, well, maybe I can do this if I'm not going anywhere in the executive ranks, hmm. maybe this is something I can do. And it was really late. I mean, it took me, Wow, God, five to six years of kind of toiling in the in the development trenches and not getting anywhere before I finally said, you know what, I'm going to have to do something different if I want to make any anything out of this as a career. Mm -hmm. Do you remember the first script you finished and what was it? Oh, hell yeah. Um, I wrote a I, I, the first script I finished, I co-wrote with a friend of mine. Um, and it was terrible. It was absolutely God awful. As they probably um, all are, right? And, and uh, this friend, I, I won't mention, I won't drop any names, um, but my friend uh, went on to become a uh, incredibly successful uh, literary agent um, mm. and found the, the perfect right call for, for, for him. And I said, you know what? I, I like writing. I like doing this. I want to keep doing this. Mm. And so I wrote uh, my very first solo spec, uh, which didn't get anywhere, but did get me an agent. I got oh, very well, lucky. In so that, it did in that get regard. you somewhere, right? Even if it, it did, didn't it sell. Did, right? yeah. I mean, that's great. Yeah. Um, and again, it was so, so much of my career has been near misses mm -hmm. and uh, uh, connections and hits um, by which I mean, you know, someone saying yes, whether it's someone deciding to represent you or someone deciding to, to hire you or to buy something mm -hmm. really coming down to like the last person who possibly could say yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of those didn't go anywhere. And then I had just enough of them to be able to kind of keep in the game and keep moving ahead. Right. Which is, is interesting to talk to upper level senior writers, showrunners and, and EPs, co-EPs, you know, the upper level writers. And all of them have some, a lot of the same stories about, you know, near misses or failures or things that didn't go their way. And yet you've built such an impressive career, like all the, a, a lot of our audience um, in normal days, although we have a lot of, of, of One Piece fans today, but a lot of our, our audience is, again, aspiring writers or newer writers um, and they, they, they envy the career that you guys have built right over the years, not realizing that all of the, the bumps and mountains and, and like you go through a lot of the same rejection and same, uh, 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 negativity being, you know, whether it's notes or, you know, uh, whether it's something getting, uh, shut down or, or getting passed on the same thing that they do. Right. It's just, yeah, the, the problems stay, they, they become higher caliber problems. Sure. Which is, which is nice. Right. Um, certainly. I mean, the hardest, the hardest, hardest thing was breaking it mm -hmm. um, and getting someone to take you seriously. Right. And the thing that uh, I realized very, you know, uh, uh, I ended up getting an agent off that first script. It didn't sell. I wrote a second script. It didn't sell. And my third script, again, incredibly fortunate. Um, was a script uh, uh, called Sandblast that I sold to Warner Brothers. And it was the right place at the right time during a time when they were making a lot of the cliffhanger style action movies. Mm. And again, it was, it was a, kind of a bolt out of the blue, but it was after seven, eight years of really kind of struggling and trying to figure out what the hell I wanted to do. Right. Um, and, and, you know, but then a couple of years later, my, I, I had a feature career for about five minutes. And then my feature career went off a cliff because I didn't get anything made. I got very close with that, with that script, that movie almost got made. I was back and forth on it three different times between other writers who were brought in. And then 
uh, because I had heat and lost the heat, my career went completely down a cliff. Mm -hmm. And I had to reinvent myself at that point, really like starting from scratch, which is how I got into television. And again, it was the, the, the season I staffed was one um, job offer, absolutely one. And I, and I was late and it was, it just wasn't going to happen that year. So it was like, all right, well, this sucks. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I had that one job offer that I took that ended up being the saving grace for my entire writing TV writing career. What show was it? Uh, it was a show called Harsh Realm. Oh, yeah. And it was uh, uh, produced and, and written by uh, Chris Carter and Frank Spotnitz and the X-Files gang. Mm -hmm. And so I had one interview that entire staffing season. It was for that show. I came in. They actually didn't read my TV samples. They read the, the spec mm -hmm. and they liked my writing. And they decided to give me a shot. And so I ended up um, uh, starting on, on that show, Harsh Realm, which then went um, to and out. Uh, which was painful for me because I had written the third episode um, and it was just like, ah, so close, you know, and then that was it. I was, I was out of work and mm -hmm. didn't know what I was going to do next. And again, just incredibly lucky. Um, they came to myself and one of the other writers who were not on the X-Files, but just on the harsh rum side and said, we're a little understaffed uh, on the X-Files side, but you guys like to come write for the X-Files. <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> Like, would we, right. are you, are you kidding? Um, so that was, and that was an incredibly getting the job in the first place was an incredibly lucky break. Mm -hmm. And then that happening was an incredibly lucky break. And that was my first real entry into, into making television. It was season seven. So they, they were a well-oiled machine at that point. And that was boot camp for me, um, mm -hmm. really getting thrown in and they were so wonderful and so inclusive. It was a tough place to work, but they were very encouraging and allowed us to, produce our shows, even as, as, you know, junior staff writers and story editors. And, you know, we didn't have final say on anything, but we got to go and we got to learn and we got to go to set and watch these incredible, you know, directors and actors and see how a crew worked and go to post and go to the sound mix. And that was where I learned all of it. Mm -hmm. And having started your career in, in features, although it was sort of, not a full-fledged career, meaning you didn't get anything produced that way, and then sort of segueing uh, into television. So basically, you you were a feature writer initially, and then switched to television. What would you say uh, is the primary difference between the two writing uh, trajectories? Not even the writing style, but the trajectory mm -hmm. of those. Career yeah, paths. I mean it's, it's, it's incredibly different. And, and look, this was a long time ago as mm -hmm. well, but uh, I think there's a lot more movement today between, um, but right. there wasn't back when I, when I was starting out yeah. and the biggest difference um, was, as we all know, with features, they take a long time to get up and running. Um, they have to build momentum. They have to get attachments. Uh, they can, you know, wither on the vine for a while and then come back because somebody remembers something. Um, and with television, it's just much faster, especially with broadcast television, where I started. Um, the biggest difference and the one that I enjoy the most is with any of the feature jobs, I was the first writer, the middle writer, usually never the last writer. Right. And that's it. You turn in your draft and you don't hear anything. Once, once your, your steps are done, you don't hear anything. Mm -hmm. And it was, while rewarding to be you know able to write and, and be working on these projects, incredibly frustrating because... You're never involved in the process to see what happens after that. 
with television and immediately, you know, even with, with Harsh Ram, which, you know, as it was, you know, dying on the vine, um, we got to produce those episodes. I got to go to Vancouver and, mm -hmm. and be on set. Um, and the directors who, you know, were fabulous, um, at some point gave way to the showrunners and the producers who came in and cut the show and mixed it. And, you know, nothing against those directors. They are, you know, an awesome, awesome group who taught me, you know, a, a ton. Um, but there was a lot more involvement on the writer and, and uh, writing producer side. Mm -hmm. And that to me was, was the most enticing thing of all, because it's like, wow, we get to do this from start to finish. This is the best job ever. Right. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, we are accumulating more and more questions in the chat, which I promised you guys we will get to soon. Although I will reiterate that Stephen is not allowed to answer uh, questions on One Piece, unfortunately, due to Netflix's rules and they wanted to keep everything secret. The surprise, right? Um, but we will get to some of those questions very, very soon. Um, but I would be remiss because, again, a lot of our audience is uh, aspiring writers, aspiring filmmakers. Um, so I, I wanted to ask you, as a showrunner, having, uh, you know, show run uh, mul multiple shows, multiple seasons. Um, what are some pieces of advice or some tips that you have for a writer sitting down with a showrunner in that meeting to try to get that job, right? Because once you meet with a writer, at least I've heard from many other showrunners, you've already liked their writing. Otherwise you wouldn't waste your time yeah. meeting with them. Exactly. So right. how, and without giving any sort of, cause there's no trick, I'm sure. I'm sure every showrunner is different. Every show is different how what are some things that you like to see when a writer sits down in a showrunner meeting and what are some red flags things that you've seen that you're like mm, maybe they're not a right fit for me or for this show um the the interview is very important um because what you're gauging there as best you can is uh, do i want to spend all day every day in a room with this person you right. know and and personality wise do I, do I like their vibe? Do I like their, 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 their persona? Are they a pleasant person to be around? Um, because I've certainly been on shows where there's unpleasant people to be around. And so um, that's kind of the first thing. Uh, yeah, of course, the, the biggest thing is the sample. Um, and, and, you know, you want to read something that has an original voice, but also is something that you feel could adapt to your show. And there are writers out there who are very good uh, at, at their original voice and not so great as being facile uh, at being facile and uh, adapting to the voice of the show. And that's a hard thing sometimes to try and iron out. And, and if you're good at that, you will do very well in staffing. Um, and then the second part is that interview where, you know, you just want to know that they're prepared, that they're excited, that they're, um, uh, you know, down for whatever the, the job that you want them to do. And I always tell writers who are at, at any level starting out or, or even more experienced. I and mean, this is, this is for myself as well. When you're working for a showrunner, your only job is to make that showrunner's job easier. Mm -hmm. That is your one and only job. It is not to write the greatest show that you think is the greatest show. It's not to put your stamp on it. It's not to, if, if in, in a perfect world, those things happen anyway. Um, if I go and I staff on a show as a consultant or uh, that where I'm not show running, the first thing I say to that showrunner is, what can I do to make your job easier? Hmm. Can I take something off your plate? Because I know you're, you're juggling chainsaws right now. And what can I do to, to you know, if you trust me with, with a, a part of it, if you want me to rewrite something, if you want me to, you know, handle something, let me do that for you. Hmm. And I think that's the thing that I would tell writers at any level who are, are ready to staff or wanting to staff is you want to come in there and you want to outperform 
your, uh, your, your job description, but not push, not, not be, you know, overly aggressive, but at the same time, be willing to take whatever challenges is, is put your way and then excelling at it. Mm-hmm. And that's and, the writers you really like are the ones who, you know, who come in and you say, well, I'm really in a bind. Can you take, can you handle this for me? Mm-hmm. And they do it and they do a great job of it. And it's like, Ooh, that's fantastic. I'll remember that next time. Right. And, and speaking about that, a lot of times we hear, what is your superpower, right? In a writer's room, other than being a good writer, what mm-hmm. else do you bring to the table or what spe- special perspective or point of view do you bring that other people don't? Um, what are some of those superpowers that you look for or that you have looked for for specific shows? Um, I don't say, I, I don't think I'd necessarily look for like a person who's great at dialogue or a person who's great at structure um, necessarily. People do have strengths and weaknesses. I have strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really is a matter of finding a good coherent group mm-hmm. that you can put together that are all going to complement each other. And then also you want to have a variety of backgrounds um, so that people are bringing something of their own life and their own experiences into the show. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly if you're writing a show that's that's very specific to um, a particular time or place or uh, uh, certain characters, you really want to get opinions that are not your own in there because, you know, I, I don't know what it's like to be, you know, um, uh, every single character on the show. Mm-hmm. And so if, if people can come in and, and shine, shine a light on that and tell me about their experiences or things that they know, research they've done or, or part of their lives, that's really useful. Mm-hmm. And you had talked about a show or uh, a, a screen, a, a spec that you had read about mountain climbing and, you know, Oh, it's the, you know, the writer, you're great. must be great. You must love mountain climbing. I didn't know that. And he's like, I don't know anything about it kind of thing. You did research. Um, with that in mind, when you're doing a show like Pan Am or you're doing a show uh, like uh, Miami medical, right. They're diff- you know, there's definitely a, a, a depth of knowledge that is helpful. How, w- when you're, crewing when you're uh, staffing a show how much of that is trying to find individuals that have those specific backgrounds and how much of it is just finding the right personality the talented writers other skill sets and bringing in a consultant or you know using other resources that could fill in the gaps like okay you didn't live you weren't a pan am stewardess at that time period that's okay you know we can fill in the gaps doing research or consultants like how important is that for some of the shows that you staffed it's it's very important and and anytime that we can bring someone in who is a great writer mm-hmm. and is also has you know in a, on a medical show has medical experience mm-hmm. in, in some capacity yeah yes you can always hire and we have many times hired um um people to come in who have that expertise and some of them have ended up becoming writers mm-hmm. on the shows um i worked very closely uh with a woman named Liz Devine on CSI Miami, who was a criminalist um, uh, in Los Angeles and LA County, and who uh, ended up becoming, you know, coming onto onto the original recipe show and then coming on onto ours, and was fabulous and just a, a wealth of stories because she had lived it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if you know Albert Kim. Um, mm-hmm. He, sure. yeah, Albert is came on the show before, and he had mentioned that he was he. he I don't remember the name of the show, the Courtney Cox show where she plays a magazine editor. He was brought on mm-hmm. because he was a magazine editor. And then he became a writer from that. So that's kind uh-huh. of interesting. I didn't know that. That's, that's really interesting. Yes, yeah. you, can, you can get your in anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of it is, is if you don't have a particular you know, depth of knowledge in an area, you can always research it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and 
you know, if you're, if you're thorough, if you are, you know, have an open mind and are interested in, you know, doing the work, mm -hmm. you know, there's ways to, to come to those stories as well. Right. Um, okay. So I wanted to ask you, and I'll probably have a few more questions as we go, but I did want to start to jump into some of these questions that are, again, I will reiterate that uh, Stephen is not allowed to answer one piece questions, but uh, we'll answer a lot of other questions. Let's see here. Um, there's like a million here. Uh, let's see. Um, I saw one earlier that I thought was interesting, um, which is, uh, oh, here it is, from uh, Mooney Nice. Uh, uh, well, I guess I guess we can answer this one, maybe. I don't know. It is a semi one piece and it's asking, will Oda be a producer on the show? I don't know if that's even. No, I can't. I, I, I can't say anything about one okay. piece. Yeah. So we can't answer that. I, I thought it was about a producer. Um, so let's see. Uh... Yeah, apologies. I know everyone wants to hear about it and um, I just can't talk about it. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Someone asked about the difference between storytelling in Japan and the West, but I don't know if you can answer that. Um, let's see. Okay, I guess this one is okay. From BFH Design, I wonder how much time and research do you put into your projects and what is the hardest project you've done? Um, a huge amount of research. Um, and, and they're all hard. It's, mm -hmm. it's, I wouldn't say that any one is harder than any other. Um, obviously, if you're doing an adaptation, you have source material that you can, that you can read and look at and, and absorb and try to figure out, okay, how is this going to translate into, into uh, a, a, a series that's going to be depending on what network it's going to be on, eight episodes or 10 or 13 or, you know, 20 plus if you're, if you're, you know, doing a network procedural. So um, it's, it's always a lot of time and research and you just want to get as immersed in it as you can, because that's going to make the stories ring truer um, and, and really bring them to life. And you want to um, just always, always be doing your homework. And so anytime that I get into a project, I am researching, researching heavily and trying to talk to people and, you know, dig up whatever I can to try and find out like, what are the kind of interesting corners of that world that like, oh, this would make a, a good story. This would make a moment, a character, something like that. So I would say research is huge. If you, if you like research, this is a, this is a great job. Mm -hmm. And for shows that don't involve things of that nature. I'm trying to think of like looking at your particular uh, work history. I guess most of the stuff you've done is would probably, whether it's Conviction or Pan Am or Harsh Realm, would require some sort of research, I guess. It's not like a family drama where, you know, right. you may not. I haven't done a lot of those, no. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but I enjoy, I enjoy getting into worlds. I enjoy getting into, you know, okay, here's a group of people who do this. Or this is, you know, about this event that happened to this person. Here's the 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 extraordinary thing that happened to this ordinary person. Mm -hmm. um, and it's always just about what appeals to you. It's like deciding what you're going to watch. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you're if you're you know scrolling through um, and and trying to figure out what you're going to watch, it's the same with looking for original material that you want to adapt or original ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, and I still love an original idea um, versus. Um, uh, or not versus, but trying to, to figure out what are the things that are going to attract me to this? Why do I want to spend a couple months or, or years mm -hmm. of my life working on this project 
is there something about it that I think is really cool? And this is a story that needs to come to life. Right. And it better be something compelling in whatever way, whether it's a character or, um, or again, a world or a particular story that you want to tell because it's, there's so many ups and downs and so many um, opportunities for it to go south. And Mm -hmm. you will be the one sitting there, you know, going, Oh, why did I, why did I take this on? No, no. I remember why, because I love this, this about it. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's something that a lot of newer writers, uh, either take too much to heart. Like I only want to write on things that I completely, absolutely am hundred percent passionate about, or I'll take anything. I don't care if I hate the thing, I'll just do it. And both of those paths I think are, are, are challenging. And oftentimes, you know, there's a spectrum there and, and finding yeah. what you love about it and then really diving into that because you can find yeah. whether it's a relationship, whether it's, you know, the world itself, there's, there's, um, if you enjoy that subject matter, finding what you truly, truly are passionate about in that material and, and, and going right. with that, I think. Right. Um, and, and sometimes it's, it's a matter of just embracing the, once you start making the show too, mm-hmm. it really becomes a matter of embracing the show you have and not the show that, that you wish it were, because right. once you start making the show, once you are getting all of your network and studio partners kind of, you know, in sync, um, and once you start getting actors in the show, you may find that, oh, we thought this was going to be this type of show. Mm-hmm. It's not because of the actors that we have. Right. We need to write to our strengths and not try to twist it into something that it's not. And so it's a it's a process of evolution, mm-hmm. uh, I think, on a lot of shows as well. Right. And that's uh, two two points you just raised that um, I want to sort of just touch on. One being that, you know, the whole no man is an island. Like, no, unless unless you're J.J. Abrams. Or, you know, uh, un- unless you're uh, uh, David E. Kelly or somebody like that, or Aaron Sorkin, very rarely do you get complete control over it. You know, there's a lot of different partners you have to work with to make For sure to get everyone happy. Right. Yeah. It's not just I'm going to make all these decisions and it's going to be what I want it to be. Um, and secondly, uh, when you're talking about uh, a specific show that you you're making, it- it's like a first season of a show, oftentimes a show, at least for the first few episodes, you're sort of finding your legs. Like yeah. oftentimes I've heard of pilots being completely reshot because it wasn't what they wanted or they needed to recast, it didn't work or whatever. Because again, once you start making something, things can't have the, uh, the, the opportunity. You've, the discovery comes in making it sometimes. And, and, right. and so- And you, you know, hope you have the latitude to be able to, you know- right. Do the best you can, but if you if there are places where you decide you want to change, that you mm-hmm. have the ability to to make those changes. Um, not not sometimes you don't, but a lot of times, yes. I mean, things do get reshot, they get recast, they get rewritten mm-hmm. endlessly. Yeah. Um, trying to everybody's just trying to find like what is that sweet spot for this particular project, right? And I mean, even in a show, especially it's I think it happened a lot more in the past when you had 22 episodes, but the first few episodes seemed a little bit uneven, like The Office, for example, whereas later episodes in that season and further seasons, they, they seem to have found their voice their, and they've all sort of fallen into their roles and it's a, it's a much smoother sailing than those first few episodes where they're still trying to feel out what it is about the show, the characters and, and, and the stories and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, that's true. Story Shows do have um, kind of an evolution process where yeah. they, they start to become what they are. Mm-hmm. I think nowadays, though, there's probably a lot more time spent in, you know, uh, pre-production and, and uh, that maybe they like in the, the, the 
the seasonality of television before when you had the the moving train and you had to have it ready for the fall and so maybe they didn't have as much time to sort of develop what they were going to to do whereas a show like you know you're working on now netflix it's the kind of thing where yeah, I mean, you 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 may have a little more latitude in terms. Of, I don't know what your deadlines are like. It's it's, it's very different. Um, certainly, the the streaming and cable model very different from the bro- the broadcast model, where mm-hmm. you would be three or four scripts into a new show and it starts shooting. Right. And at that point, you're like everybody on because you know we are we are simultaneously breaking and producing and then starting to do post on the show. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of a lot of juggling and mm-hmm. trying to keep everything moving because the showrunner becomes the choke point. You're the slowest, you know, the person who has to filter the most mm-hmm. uh, information and kind of tell people directions that you want the show to go in and, and factor in every, all the input that's coming in from mm-hmm. studio, from network, from other producers, um, from, from your actors. And so that's very different than the, the streaming uh, kind of cable model of, Oh, we get to finish writing, you know, <laughs> and then we start shooting yeah. and, you know, post obviously starts, starts, pretty quickly, uh, you know, after a show starts shooting, but um, it's a, it's a very different world. Um, and, and nice too, because, mm-hmm. you know, when the problem with, with doing 22 is in that, that um, business model, in that uh, production model, you are, you, you can't go back and make changes to the pilot because mm-hmm. it's on the air and you're working on episode seven. Um, and so you really have to have planned it out well enough ahead to be able to make adjustments as the show is being shot. Mm-hmm. Whereas on a show that has, where you're allowed to finish the scripts first, you can actually make changes. It's like, you can find something in a mid season episode and go, Oh, we should go back to, to the, uh, the, to the first episode and set that up. Mm-hmm. And that's really nice. Now you just talked about the difference between uh, streaming, working on a streaming show versus working on a network show. And, you know, those who have paid attention to the industry or are knowledgeable of the industry know that in the past, when you work on a network show, oftentimes, you know, the standard was 22, 24 episodes for, you know, especially for, uh, um, you know, shows that are procedurals, network procedurals, those types of things. And now there's a lot of short orders, eight episodes, 13 episodes, 10 episodes kind of thing, specifically for newer writers. uh, Although there are a lot more shows now, right? Before it was just the big networks and, you know, whatever. Um, but because they had 22, 24 episodes and the WGA requirements of hiring what two to three newer staff writers are giving a new opportunity to writers, whereas for short orders, that's not really the case anymore. Um, what sort of advice would you have for those newer writers trying to break in? Be, you know, I'm hearing it's much more difficult. Obviously, it's always difficult, but because... Yeah a lot of shows are hiring fewer and fewer writers. A lot of them are just promoting from within, if at all possible. Although again, your current show, you didn't have writer's assistance from a previous season since it's your first season. Um, So you couldn't promote from within necessarily, although you may have had other writer's assistance from other shows you've worked on, that kind of thing. But how can newer writers uh, find opportunity in, in an era where there's fewer episodes, fewer opportunities for newer writers um, and with eight to 10, 12 episodes, you, you have less time to tell your story. You're probably hiring a lot more senior veteran writers because, you know, there's less time to uh, educate, right, and, and train up the newer writers. Yeah, I would say um, 
uh, you still need a balance. You, you're still looking for, um, I, I always think you're looking for a balance of more seasoned writers and newer writers. Um, because also you're, you know, the first time that I staffed was, or that I, that I hired mm-hmm. uh, a writing staff was, so, was such an interesting exercise because you have a certain amount of money mm-hmm. and it's like, find your staff. And they usually want you to have a strong number two. So you're doing that first um, and trying to find someone who, you know, is going to be a good fit with you um, or, or one or two of those people. And then you're trying to, to um, also just kind of cobble together something that fits within your numbers that also is going to be hopefully diverse. That's mm-hmm. going to have, uh, you know, writers of, of all stripes and all ethnicities and all genders and, and just, trying to find a well-balanced group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's gotten a lot better um, in, in that regard um, because I, you know, early on worked on a lot of all male, you know, mostly white mm. staffs and right. um, it's, it's still a problem. It's still, you know, there is not, not equality as there should be. Um, but certainly um, there is, there is an eye toward diversity now that there didn't used to be. Mm-hmm. And it needs to get better. There's a lot of room for improvement, but right. um, at least there is there is uh, an attempt being made to to have more diverse rooms and to try to just be more equitable. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. B asked, "What is your favorite part of script writing, and what is your least favorite part?" Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I actually like writing. I like the process of writing. It is that the writing could be the best and worst part of it. Um, the, the worst part is taking notes. It is, you know, even if they're good notes, it's just like, damn it, I, I figured this out. And now you're mm-hmm. telling me that what I figured out wasn't great or could be improved and it needs to be different. And so notes are like pulling teeth. And then when you do them a good portion of the time, you're like, ah, yeah, that was better. Mm-hmm. Uh, not always, but, you know, but you do have to learn how to take the note, interpret the note mm-hmm. and figure out, okay, they're... Uh, this the giver of this note, be it an executive or producer, is saying that there's a problem here, mm-hmm. and they made a suggestion there, and I don't think there is the the right place that the to fix that problem. I th- actually think there's something else that may be causing it. But if we fix it earlier and pay it off better, maybe that same problem won't exist. So sometimes mm-hmm. there's there's things like that. The actual sitting and writing on the blank page is the best and the worst. Um, we've all you know if you if you've ever tried to write a script. You sit there and you stare at it and, you know, a million reasons why you can't do it or why you don't want to finish or why there are other things to do. Um, but there's something about playing with the words and getting them on the page in the right way so that you have, you are creating emotion on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that's, I'm scared, I'm, you know, crying, I'm happy, I'm laughing. It, it's the hardest and the best because mm-hmm. when you do accomplish something and you, especially, you know, reading a script and being happy with it is one thing, seeing actors perform that and going, Oh my God, we hit something there. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we gave them a platform to stand on and then they took it and they took it a step further and wow, I, what, what a moment, you know, right. that's the most rewarding is to see it come to life, to see the house built um, that you drew the plans for mm-hmm. and go, wow, that's a wonderful room. You know, that's going to be fantastic. It's a great moment. It's a great episode. Right. Um, and then the least favorite part is just, you know, it's the struggle. Mm. You know, it is a struggle. Um, it's, uh, I've never one of those writers who, you know, it was easy for, you know, it's always like pulling teeth. Right. Right. In terms of 
the career-wise and the industry-wise, right? Not the writing itself, or was the writing itself difficult? Writing itself is hard. Yeah, it's tough. yeah. No, it is hard. Yeah, you have to do it well. Um, and and then yeah, and then the the business side of it is a whole other ball of you know eels right. coat hangers. Um, right. Uh, the the business part it is very rewarding, and you meet a lot of great people, and absolutely punishing, and you know. It's it's hard to put, it's hard to put a finger on it. It is it is it is such a challenge right. uh, dealing with the business side. Even when you have good people in your corner, mm-hmm. um, there's always it's very very tricky. Right. There's a quote. I don't know if I'm I'm just going to paraphrase because I don't remember it exactly. I don't remember who said it, but it was a, a famous writer uh, that said writing is not that hard. You just cut open a vein and bleed. Yeah. Right? yeah you know yeah. it's being obviously sarcastic it's obviously you know yeah. uh, very painful and and, and uh, yeah. you have to give a lot of yourself to it so it's obviously not easy but... there's another there's another great great quote which is um uh making you know movies and tv is is being bludgeoned to death by your dreams <laughs> which i've always loved right because like you get so invested in these in these stories mm-hmm. and then be the, the push and pull of various forces that it takes to get something made. Right. Um, it never ends up being exactly the way you thought it was going to be sometimes mm-hmm. better, sometimes worse, um, and always painful. Mm-hmm. Um, here's another question that maybe you can answer in a general sense. I've had this question asked to other, uh, writers who have adapted material, um, specifically comics because they're different mediums. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cersei DM asks, how different is it to adapt a manga or comic compared to adapting a novel or creating an entirely new story? Again, things like uh, in comics, you have thought bubbles, right? Whereas um, in, in, in live action, you don't, right? You just, there's no such a thing. You can have narration but, and voiceover, but yeah, yeah, yeah. so uh, how, how different is it? I would like, say that the difference between a novel and a graphic novel mm-hmm. or a comic of any sort is... Um, for me is some um, uh, comic creators are very cinematic. Mm-hmm. And so they will actually give you wonderful cinematic frames that you can think about when you're, you know, whereas, whereas when you're reading a novel or uh, a short story or something like that, you're, you're seeing it in your head as you, as you read and you're trying to figure out, okay, is this part of the story I want to use? It's all, mm-hmm. it's, it's all kind of trying to figure out structure as well. Right. Um, so that's the main difference is you have something to look at that is, um, uh, you know, and, and with good, you know, uh, comic artists, you have wonderful frames to look at, mm-hmm. you know, and so you may want to copy that style. You may not want to, but there's definitely, um, you, you have a visual component to it. Right. Um, which is really nice. That being said, uh, adapting a novel is, is tremendous fun. Right. You know, because, or a short story even, because a short story can give you kind of the pieces of something that, work in a short story format and then it's up to you to say, okay, but how do I blow this up into, mm-hmm. you know, eight, 10, 13 episodes or several seasons of a, of a show. Right. You know, I, I think the, the, our, our, the, the, the medium is changing in that, you know, you now have shows that can have, you know, kind of a long run of five, six, seven years. You have movies that are, you know, two hours long, um, but then you also have limited series that mm-hmm. are, you know, a single season. It's like a very long movie, right? Um, not meant to go past that. And so there's just some very interesting kind of forms that are, uh, you know, coming up in our in our world that um, make it a lot of fun. And and when you are looking at at source material at IPs, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's like, okay, what is this really? What mm-hmm. is what does this want to be? Does this want to be a movie? Does it feel like it's something that 
is going to have those legs for two hours or is it something that feels like it could be a single season or is it something that feels like it could have multiple seasons? Right. Which in the past, I had known that when you walked in and you pitched a TV series, it's like they want to see how long it could run for, right? Is this just a right. one series thing? Well, we're not interested in that. We want to make, you know, do you have two, three, four, five series? This is that potential to run that long because if we're going to put the money in developing it, that's what we want. But now- And they wanted studios wanted 100 episodes or 80 right, episodes. Of to get syndication. It's still the case in, in, you know, in broadcast, you know, but yeah. um, the world has changed. Right, with streaming and all that stuff. So that's, yeah. that's really interesting. Um, uh, let's see here. Uh, Cersei DM also asks, what kind of projects would you like to work on in the future? So after your current gig is... is sure, sure. Um, I, I love genre projects. Mm -hmm. I love science fiction. I love fantasy. Um, I am a latecomer to, uh, to anime. I, I kind of grew up on some of the old school anime, Osama Tezuka and, and uh, folks like that. Mm -hmm. um, but I love it. And um, I would like to look at more anime projects because I think there's a, a really wonderful world out there that is just kind of getting rolling. And of course, not everything needs to be adapted for live action. But mm -hmm. um, I think that there's some... Uh, some really wonderful uh, properties out there as far as that. And then, you know, I, I'm always a fan of original ideas. It's like, if I can come up with, I, I you always have, uh, if you've been doing this long enough, you know, a folder full of documents of half-baked ideas. That's like, Hey, what if this thing, you know, what if I had, you know, combine these two ideas or what if there was this character and this thing happened to them? Mm -hmm. Um and it's like, I wonder if there's any place to go for that. Because that's how, how it starts for a lot of people is you just have the kernel of something, whether it's a visual or a concept or um, a character mm -hmm. that you want to see. And it's like, yeah, but what's that show? You know, and sometimes right. if you sit on these things long enough, someone will come out with the cooler version of what you couldn't figure out and think of. Right. Uh, and you're like, that's it. That's the one that, mm -hmm. um, that uh, I couldn't quite figure out. And they got it, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I just love... I love, I love sci-fi. I love fantasy. I love supernatural. Um, I have from, you know, my very first jobs and um, I, I've done, I've worked outside of those realms as well, but those are my favorites. Mm -hmm. Now, are there any anime, manga, comic books, video games that you're a particular fan of that, you know, one day I think this would be a great show or great movie. Is there anything that comes to mind offhand? I mean, you know, th yes, there's a bunch. I don't want to, I don't want to go into, you know, into detail mm -hmm. on that, but there are a lot of great properties out mm -hmm. there. Again, everyone's, everyone, every, um, every manga, every anime does not need to become a live sure. action. Mm -hmm. But that being said, um, I think when you find the right property and you're able to make it come to life in a way, mm -hmm. I, I think that it can it'd be a, a wonderful, it's not meant to replace or to go one up on the manga or the anime. It's, it's, it's really, like here is a, another interpretation of this, mm -hmm. um, which could be cool. Um, and that's what, what the kind of stuff that I'm thinking about looking down the road. Mm -hmm. Would you ever write a comic book or for a different medium of some kind? I'm not saying for One Piece in general, just mm -hmm. you in general, like, you know, yeah. uh, Kevin Smith writes comic books, right? He right. doesn't have to, he just does it because he loves it, you know, but it is a different yeah, yeah. medium, right? It is completely yeah. different. Um, is that something you would ever entertain just out of curiosity? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I don't know much about it. It's not really my, my wheelhouse, but, um, it's definitely something I would consider, um, if I had the opportunity, it's, 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 um, it's a different form of writing, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, um, uh, you know, 
it's a way to, it's, it's the same thing as like writing animation. It's like, I've never done it, but that's totally something I would entertain, uh, you know, an animated uh, series or movie because you can, you know, it, it's, it's just as expensive to have the universe explode as it is to write a scene, you know, a panel mm-hmm. of two people talking in a room. Right. And so that's something that's very different from the live action world where it's like, all right, if you're going to go big, you're going to go big and expensive. Right. Absolutely. Um, let's see. Arya asked what you just answered. Would, uh, would you want to make any more anime li- manga live actions in the future? So uh, the answer was yes. Yeah, absolutely. Abs- yeah. Absolutely. I would. Uh, let's see here. Um, Chris Zorander asks, what would you consider warning signs for a bad script? And what are the signs of a good script? I think, uh, honestly, it's, it's really just something that makes you want to turn the page. Mm-hmm. It's that simple. It's like, if you're reading something and you want to know what happens next mm-hmm. and you're like, well, okay, well, where are we going with this? What's going on? I'm intrigued. I want to keep page turning it. it you can, you can play with, you know, um, screenwriting classes and books about, about writing and structure and characters, and they're all good. Um, and, you can, I think, learn a lot from those, but then you got to kind of take them and set them aside and say, okay, well, what's the interesting thing to me? How do I want to tell a story in a way that keeps people engaged? Mm-hmm. And it's something that I feel really passionate about, but also I think is a story that I think other people would enjoy as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really, you know, if, if when I was a reader, there were scripts that were very good that you just knew, wow, this is a professional that I'm dealing with here. It's, it's mm-hmm. most of the scripts uh, that I read were awful. And right. it was shocking how many awful, awful pieces of material were coming through. But when there was a good one, you knew it was good because it was like undeniable. Right. And sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes it was like, okay, there's an interesting idea here. It's just not executed terribly well. Mm-hmm. Um, but really it's that, you know, I, I always say you've got, you know, maybe five to 10 pages to reach out and grab your reader and say, pay attention. There's something really cool happening here. Um, and I've crafted it in such a way that you better be paying attention to this because more is coming. Right. Um, and if you, if you don't, and if you're kind of meandering kind of through that opening, mm-hmm. then you're not, they're not going to get to page 20. Right. Absolutely. Uh, and that's something that I think a lot of newer writers really need to kind of grasp onto is that you have, mm-hmm. again, the five to 10 pages and your script could be brilliant, but that's slow burn doesn't matter if they don't get to the part. Yeah, where it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be the end of the world. You know, right. it doesn't have to be the biggest, most exciting thing ever, mm-hmm. but it has to be compelling. Right. You know, if we're going to start with characters, they better be really compelling. So I'm like, what's going on with this person? I got to find out. Right. Uh, let's see here. Chris Zorander asks, collaborative writing is very common in TV. Is that something you found easy to get into or do you prefer more independent writing? I like both. Honestly, um, I, um, I also um, uh, am working on some stuff with my wife, who is also a writer, um, and we enjoy collaborating sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it, it can be very rewarding. It's, it can be challenging, um, but it's a lot of fun. And look, if there's one word to, to know about television, mm-hmm. particularly movies as well, but television in particular, it's collaboration. Mm-hmm. You better mm-hmm. be willing to get all, everyone at the table and figure out a way to kind of figure out how to navigate all those, all those different uh, um, opinions and ideas and figure out how to 
say, okay, you know what? I have, I have a vision of this, but I got to hear these other people too. And I have to know, okay, there's another way to do this. And it may not be my favorite way of doing it, but this is something there's, there's other voices that, that must be listened to. Right. No, that's great. Um, Himson Chan says, Steve, hello from a fellow UCLA Theta Chi brother and good friend of James Sun. Well, there you go. Uh, do you have any tips or tricks for writing on the days where creative juices just aren't flowing? Oh, God. Um, uh, you know what? I, I, think, I think it's good to write every day, mm. especially when you're in the middle of a project. Mm -hmm. um, uh, don't be afraid to write badly is one that you hear all the time, but it's true. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's so much easier to revise something than it is to conjure it from, you know, from nothing. Hmm. So I would say even on the days when you don't feel like writing, it's good to, to try to push a little bit, but then also it's good to take a break. You hmm. know, if there's a day when you don't feel like writing, take a break. One of the things I learned very early on was that I'd be in the middle of something. I'd be really tired. It was getting late and I used to stay up and kind of push through. And sometimes hmm. that worked and sometimes it didn't. And more recently, it's like, you know what? couple hours of sleep would, yeah, I, I can't solve this problem right now. It's really bugging the crap out of me. Um, I'm going to go sleep, mm -hmm. sleep a couple hours. And you know what? I wake up in the morning um, and it's like, oh, you know what? There's an answer. And that has happened to be more, more often than not. It's like, you know what? Get your rest. Mm -hmm. Try not to be so consumed by it that it's the only thing you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's hard. And I struggle with that a lot. But your brain is apparently working while you're sleeping. So yeah well or at least get, getting a rest that you can yeah. kind of start, well, start out fresh. yeah for me it's doing yeah, no the, for no me it's doing the dishes or doing something with my hands like if i'm mm -hmm. you know not paying attention fully but still able to sort of work think through things yeah. in my head then that, that's that i find helpful but no that's, that's nice you know if you do like working with with a partner or with you know mm -hmm. a, a, a friend who, who writes you know being able to run something past them Right. And say, am I crazy? Because, you know, I'm stuck here. And what do you think about that? And they'll throw you an idea that may not be the right idea, mm -hmm. but it's something that will spur something else. It's very similar to working in a room, in a writer's right. room. Mm -hmm. And um, one of my uh, real good friends and mentors, Jeff Bell, used to say, let it suck. Let it suck. It's like, say the thing that is a terrible, okay, this is a terrible idea, but what about this? Right. Because often that can lead to okay, not that, but what if it's this? Mm -hmm. And whoa, wait a second. Whoa. Instead of that, what if you combine these two things and it, wow, you have a good idea that that started from this little sucky kernel that right. then people grabbed on and thought about and twisted and manipulated in a way to make it something good. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, remember, I remember a showrunner telling me that there was a writer, writer producer who he always hired uh, on his staff. And this writer was a good writer but specifically they were hired because not that they had all kinds of great ideas because some writers come in and they just like, they vomit out ideas, right? And most of them are not good. 99 out of hundred or nothing. Well, this writer apparently would be, sit quietly for the whole writer's room, but literally he's just taking pieces of everything that people said and then spew out what the combined sort of answer was and solve uh -huh. the, pro the very difficult problems you had because he and took everything, kind of filtered it out, pieced it back together and kind of gave, you know, always gave really great sort of solutions to very difficult problems. That's brilliant. If you have someone that can do that, hire them. Yeah, yeah, that's what he said. He always hires this, this writer. Mm -hmm. um, and, he, and they're both great. But anyway, mm -hmm. uh, we had them both on the show before. Uh, let's see here. Uh, uh, 
Loggy Doggy says, how does the approach in making the first season of a brand new show different now in the streaming era compared to the pre-streaming era? Is it easier or harder to get that renewal? Hmm. Um, it's, it's always hard to get a renewal. Um, I would just say that the parameters have, have changed as to what constitutes worthy of renewal. Mm -hmm. um, and it's certainly different for broadcast than it is for Disney Plus or for Netflix or you know mm -hmm. a streamer or for for a cable company. Um, it's it's you know there are there are certain parameters that you have to hit and you know with with broadcast it was it was ratings uh, primarily but right. also cost you know mm -hmm. with um, with streamers it's a little more murky you know as far as as but you know obviously you want as many people as possible to watch the show. Mm -hmm. You know, you want that audience to come in and really love it and gravitate toward it and want to see the next episode. Right. Um, and it's, you know, you want people to be pulled through a, the, a, in an individual episode, but then mm -hmm. when you get to the end of that episode, you want them also pulled through into the next one. So they keep watching. Mm -hmm. um, let's see here. Uh, Nicole Hugs says, how could a young writer find the courage to send the script out into the world and wait for it to be judged? That is, that is something I think we all struggle with um, because believe me, people are going to judge your script and you have to be a little crazy and a little fearless um, right. because who would believe that they could actually do this? You know, it's, there's too many people trying for too few jobs and you have to kind of be a little bit insane to say, you know what, this is something I really want to do. I believe in this. I believe in myself and I can do this. And then when I'm told no a hundred times, I'm gonna, you know, it hurts, ouch, uh, it sucks, no one loved my baby, they thought my baby was ugly, but I'm gonna sit down and write something else mm -hmm. because I think that I can do this and I really wanna just keep pushing. And it's, it's a combination of a lot of drive and effort, mm -hmm. some talent, you know, the more the better, but, mm -hmm. but some talent is better than, than none, obviously. Um, and being able to stick it out long enough to get lucky. Right. Because we do have to get lucky. We mm -hmm. do have to get, we, we, even if you work very hard and you're very smart and a good writer, you still may not get that break for a while. Right. Um, and you have to be able to kind of stick it out kind of mentally and emotionally and financially to be able to be, to say when the ring comes around, the brass ring comes mm -hmm. around and I can grab it. I, I want to be ready right. for that. And it's, it's the ability to stay in the game. That is so important and it's hard. It's hard. It's like everybody starts working a second job, you know, or working a job and then writing in their free time because that's how we all start. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes it's on a show in a writer's room and sometimes it's not, but um, you've got to just, you know, keep sitting there and saying, you know what? I still think I can do this. Mm -hmm. I think I got something. And I believe enough in myself to be able to kind of keep throwing myself at the wheel and saying, you know, I, 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 all I need is a chance. I need an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And with me, you know, it took a long time. I, I, I didn't write that long before I had some success. Again, I was very lucky in that regard, but I certainly worked for a long time before I started, got, got, got it in my head to start writing and to try and, and do that. And mm -hmm. there have been a lot more failures than successes for sure. Um, yeah. but it's the ability to kind of stay in it, um, and kind of with, with, with TV writing, particularly to work your way up the chain because mm -hmm. there is a kind of step you know a, a ladder that you can climb to get to you know from a, a, a low-level writer to a mid-level writer to a senior level writer and then ultimately trying to 
again, you just need someone to give you that first crack at showrunner. Mm-hmm. And if they're not, you know, if no one's, no one's willing to do it until someone does it. Right. Um, and I don't know what, who to attribute the quote to, but an old quote saying that luck is perseverance in disguise, right? You mm-hmm. stick with it long enough, you sort of make your own luck. You can, but, absolutely. It's no guarantee though. That's the thing no, that's sure. so about it is you can, you know, go at it for years and years and years and just not get lucky. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard part about it. And you just have to have kind of a, you have to suspend the negativity and say, you know what, I'm just going to, you know, I I refuse to hear the answer. No, I'm going to, you may have said no to that one, but I've got this other idea that I think is going to be great that I'm going to write or pitch or, you know, get out there into the world and hope that someone, and all it takes, and this is someone that something that was said to me a long time ago, um, and it's, it's easier said than done, but all it takes is one person to say yes. Yeah. One person who can hire, one person who can buy. You need that one person, you know, and it's happened to me more times in my career than I can, than I can count mm-hmm. where a single person said, okay, yeah, I'll be your agent. Mm-hmm. Or, you know what? Yes, I will, I will hire you for this job. Mm-hmm. And those, those moments, if you're lucky enough to be around long enough to be able to get those moments, mm-hmm. can make a career. Yeah. And one piece of advice is that I've heard is that when you get get negative feedback, whether it's on the script or a particular meeting or whatever, it's never personal, right? If you can look at it in that sense, even though you've you've poured your soul into that script, the next script may be great. It's not personal to you, and it may be perspective too. Like everyone's tastes are different; they may not like that script. Yeah. But and people are wrong people, all the time too. Yeah, We're absolutely. All, I'm wrong all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. So just, be, it's such a subjective yep. uh, craft and such a subjective business that just because someone said, you know, there are, there, there are so many stories, you know, a legion of stories of right. wonderful movies and TV shows that got no, 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 no across the board from everybody, sometimes twice. Mm-hmm. And it was the, um, it was, I, I think I just read an article. There was an article about Ron Shelton and Bull Durham. Oh, um, right. Passed on, passed on by every studio twice, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's, it's, it's true. It's like that happens more often than not. And mm-hmm. most of those things that are passed on don't end up resurrecting or coming back right. or having a second life. Um, but you have to be able to kind of gird yourself for no, 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 a, a litany of no's mm-hmm. uh, before you get that one. Yes. And when the yes comes, you better be ready. Right. Absolutely. So I, there are a substantial amount of additional questions, but I know we've gone a little over an hour. I don't know what your hard out is. If you want to, if you are able to take a few more questions or if you've got to run. More questions. Okay. Yeah, um, of course. Let's see here. Romeo asks, what does it take to impress or get an approval when presenting your script? That's well, it depends a, on who you're putting your question. script. Yeah. The best thing is to have a great script, mm-hmm. you know, to have something that's really well written that, that you've done your homework, that, the person feels that they are again in the hands of a professional, right? Um, whether it's somebody who who has you know lived this amazing life or or mastered this amazing you know skill, mm-hmm. um, or just come up with a situation or a character that is so wonderful that I need to find out more about this. I mean, that's it. it really is you know write something great. That's the the hardest thing in the world to do, but that's the answer. Mm-hmm. If you if you write something great, the world will be the path to your door. How to do that is anybody's guess. It is very, very difficult. Right. Um, but that's the thing. It's like we all start sitting around going, I could do that. 
you know, or, mm-hmm. or sometimes some people are like, no, 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 I can't, I could never, you know, I used to get questions all the time about, well, how do you come up with ideas? Mm. It's hard. It's really, really hard. And so that's why, um, you know, if, if there's a book you want to adapt and that you can, you know, figure out a way to get the rights to, or get an option on, that's a, a way to go. Um, you know, if anything in the public domain, you know, you, you can, and then, and then also I would say, I kind of learned to write by mimicking. Mm. Um, I was not a born writer or somebody who knew that they wanted to write, you know, growing up or coming out of college or anything like that. And so the first things I wrote were, I sort of deconstructed movies and, and TV shows I liked. And I went, Shane, okay, how does that work? And I took it apart and went, oh, okay, I see what's happening here. Okay, I can write something that is in this same Western structure. Um, but set in the post-apocalypse, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I learned to write by imitation, but then at a certain point, you also want to kind of leave the, the familiar tropes behind and say, okay, that's the, that's the, the expected version of it. What's the cool unexpected thing I can do. Mm-hmm. What's the fun, what's the clever idea, the original idea that is going to take this and kind of get it up to that next level. Right. Right. So you sort of need to know the rules before you start bending yeah. the rules, right? I think so, at least for me. Not, yeah. not all writers. Some people are just born to, you know, write fantastic dialogue. Um, and, and they just have an ear mm-hmm. for that. Um, I was definitely someone who had to learn the tricks in order to be able to put the tricks aside. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Milejdi uh, Van asks, what do you wish you had known before you started script writing? Oh, God. <laughs> um, I wish I had known. I wish I had known how hard it was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because it's it, it, the, the business part of it, particularly, never ceases to amaze me at, you know, the difficulties that are thrown up. And mm-hmm. um, but maybe it's a good thing not knowing. Um, because then why would you do it if you're going to, you know, know that there's, you know, all this turmoil ahead right. uh, in your life. Um, but yeah, that would have been, you know, I knew, but I didn't really know. Mm-hmm. I don't know who we recently had a guest, probably in the past few episodes. I don't remember who it was, though, that said that had they known, uh, you know, what, what how difficult it was, they may not have done it. And I was like, oh, so you sort of burned the ships, right? <laughs> when you uh, landed on the new world. Um, so you wouldn't have that out kind of thing, but, um, let's see. Yeah, I mean, I, Go ahead. Part of, part of what, part of why I'm a television writer right. is that I have no other skills at all. And I was, I, I, I was working in the entertainment industry. Then I started getting feature work, which was great. And then when features dried up, I'm like, what the hell else can I do? And I was mm-hmm. really like thinking about what other careers can I get into when I got my first TV, my first and only TV interview for that season. Right. Um, and, and it was like, if you're smart and you have that backup plan, you know, and you're like, oh, I can go back to being a lawyer or a doctor or a, you know, business consultant or whatever it is, chances are at a certain point, it's going to get so tough that you're going to go, you know what, mm-hmm. screw this, I'm going to go back and, and, you know, have a little more of a, you know, a sure thing. Right. Uh, but there's something, I'm not suggesting anybody burn the bridges and say, you know, this is it, I'm, I'm succeeding in this or nothing, but there is part of that, that, um, <laughs> desperation that, uh, that keeps you, keeps you going. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Fantastic Footnote says, what would you see yourself as if you didn't have this job since we were talking about this? It's perfect. I, I honestly don't know. Um, I'm sure I would have be, I'd be doing something. I would have to make a living. Um, but I, part of the part of the the issue of why I'm, you know, why I push so hard and drive so hard is that I don't have an answer for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, never wanted to take a more traditional route. This was a kind of a crazy one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I thought, again, I thought, you know, I was going to, you know, kind of be a producer or, or a development executive. And, you know, that was that, you know, that's not a backup, <laughs> you know, if you're not on that path, right. um, continually and kind of staying with all those connections and doing that job full time, mm-hmm. you can't fall back on that. It's not like you can say, oh, well, you know, that's, that's my, my safety net. That's mm-hmm. not a safety net. That's, that's an insane job. just like this one. Right. Um, let's see. Uh, so Chris Zorander asks, TV writers have to deal with a lot of other influences like previously established seasons, network executives, actor improvisation, etc. How do you stay true to a single cohesive vision? Um, I think it's always just sort of having an idea in your, in your head about what you want the show to be mm-hmm. um, and trying to stick to that as much as possible. And yeah, it's never going to be, exa- unless, unless you are, you know, um, a, a, a top, top tier, you know, A-list writer, showrunner, mm-hmm. you're not going to get everything you want. And right. even there, I imagine there are things they don't get what they want. Um, so I think it is, is trying to stick to your vision as much as possible mm-hmm. while at the same time being able to interpret, you know, not take every note, not refuse every note, but to hear the notes and to say, okay, what's really the issue here? What's the problem that they're having? Um, and sometimes, you know, uh, I, I think executives will come to you with a problem. We think that people are not understanding X and then you have to sit there and go, okay, well, if that's the case, what's the solution to that that we can actually shoot, mm-hmm. you know, without doing something, you know, okay, here's the, the, the bad version of it is, you know, we over explain it or we, you know, write a scene where, where we spell that all out. Okay. Is there a better way to do that? Mm-hmm. Is there a, a cooler way to do it? Is something visual? Is there a shortcut? Is there, you know, something that we can do to address that issue without going for the tropes? Right. And that's tough. That's a, that's a hard, you know, thing to figure out, but that's, that's kind of what the job is, 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 you know, trying to maintain a creative vision while at the same time being able to filter in all of the influences and keep the, the show moving forward. Right. Um, Aria asks, at what point would you realize the work you have done is good before it airs? That's a good question, actually. That's a really you, good question. Yeah. Um, I, I like to think all the work is good before it airs, but then it airs and sometimes people don't gravitate toward it. And it's like, well, does that mean it sucked? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you do the best you can. It's all subjective. You know, it's all, did I experience something when I was watching it that made me want to laugh or cry or, you know, have me on the edge of my seat? Mm-hmm. Um, if it is, then hopefully other people will feel the same way about it. There's absolutely no way to know, mm-hmm. um, if something you're doing is going to appeal to people, which is why so many shows fail. It's like mm-hmm. the best instincts of a lot of very talented and well-trained and hardworking people sometimes end up with a, you know, a, you know, a show no one wants to watch mm-hmm. happens all the time. So I think it's, it's, you know, being, having an opinion, being true to your opinion as to the, to the best of your ability um, and then also being able to kind of filter in the, you know, and, and keep everything moving forward while still dealing with 
the things that are flying at you from all sides. Mm -hmm. And to sort of dive a little bit deeper into that, staying away from like the public response, like if it does really well in the ratings or, you know, gets a second season, all that kind of stuff based on viewership or whatever. How do you feel like do you ever come when you wrapped a show do you ever go wow that was or you know even the pilot the for that was fantastic i really feel proud of what we've done versus okay we did it it's it's good we're you know based on you know because there's all so many things you're juggling whether it's you know the 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 network or whether it's you know other forces the the lead actor wanting to do this or that or having too much influence or so that are are there any times where you just feel extra proud versus other times? I'm not going to ask you about specific show. I'm just saying, or is it the kind of thing where you're so lost in the weeds that you just, you gauge the response on those that view it, you know, even before it goes out to the public, whether it's the network executive saying, this is fantastic or the star saying, you know what, Steve, I love this. Thank you for letting me part. Is it other people's responses or do you actually have that vibe of, okay, this is something special? I, I, you get a sense of it, uh, I think yourself, and you're not always right, but you know, you watch something and go, wow, okay, I think, right. I, I think I, I'm really proud of that. Right. You know? um, and sometimes it is other people telling you and, mm-hmm. and look, it's, it's all, you know, when people like a show you're on or that you're, that you're working on, it's very validating. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always a nice, thing, a nice thing to hear. Look, the show continuing to run, you know, whatever right. show you're on, run getting another season is yeah. it's very validating, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think that um, when I watch a show, though, even if there are moments that I'm extremely, extremely proud of, mm-hmm. you know, and like, wow, we really nailed that scene and the actors brought it up a level. And the, when I watch a show, especially because I've spent so much time with every episode, I mean, mm-hmm. really months watch, you know, and, and, and being on, on if you're on set for your episode as well you know, taking it from conception to, you know, okay, we're going to make this to then being on set and shooting it to cutting it to doing all the mixes and, and VFX and, and the final, you know, post-production process. <laughs> so it really is like, okay, you're looking at months or years of my life here that mm-hmm. I've spent in each one of these episodes. And a lot of times for me, the only thing I, I, I can still be very proud of an episode or of, of a series, but the only thing I see are the holes. And I know that there's a moment when I was on set and I went, should I say something here? Ah, it's okay. And I'm like, damn it. Mm-hmm. You know, I should have said something because it would have been better if, if I had given that note or um, uh, we didn't quite nail that. Mm-hmm. We didn't have the footage for it. We didn't, you know, we tried, but we, that, that moment could have been so much better if only we had done this. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just, you just remember the places where you're just like, damn it. Got so got close on that one. That being said, you know, it's, it's a little, you know, self being a little self-critical, uh, but it's always the holes that, mm-hmm. that, that I see when I, when I watch an episode, even though if I'm very proud of it. Right. And now having much more experience than you did, maybe the first time you were a showrunner uh, or even when you were a writer producer, but you were on set for your episode, mm-hmm. are there fewer times where you'll keep your mouth shut when you see things like that? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely, yes. yes. I, I, <laughs> I have made a pact with myself. It's like, all right, this may be an uncomfortable thing to talk about, but mm. hey, can we do it this way? Can we try this? Right. Can we ask it? And it, 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 if you're on set, if it's a set thing, it's very respectful. You go to the director and you say, hey, um, can we get one where, where we try it this way? Mm-hmm. And then if they disagree with you, you talk it out and try to come to some kind of an understanding. Or right. The directors are very open to 
you know, hearing that and to trying something. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's, it's about talking to the actor, but always kind of respectfully through the director, mm -hmm. uh, wherever possible. Um, and other bits, you know, sometimes it's something you didn't get right in script. And it's mm -hmm. just like, that line sounded so good in my head. Right. Um, that, that was, I, I remember this, one of my very first experiences in casting. Um, I had written a scene um, that was being used for casting. This was uh, uh, during the X-Files. And then I got to go to casting and watch the actors come in and audition for it. And, and uh, this was before cast it. And so everything was in person. And I remember watching it and going, wow, that sounded a lot better in my head. You know, really, it was just like hearing the actual actors reading it going, mm -hmm. you know, I got to rewrite the scene mm -hmm. <laughs> because because what it was sounding in my head, the way it sounded in my head was not what is coming out on screen mm -hmm. or, or coming out when I hear a human being reading it. Right. And that's that's part of the learning process and why it's good to be so kind of deeply enmeshed in a show is you get to know what your actors are good at mm -hmm. and what they need a little help with. Mm -hmm. You know, and sometimes it's it's you know, certain words or certain phrases or certain emotions and things like that. And, you know, you, you write to, that's the nice thing about having a show that runs for a little while is you get to start writing to your actors. Right. We can say, well, they're really good at this. Let's find a way to utilize that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so when you are writing uh, for uh, two specific actors, um, is that, you would mention like the, if you have a second season, you're able to do that. Mm -hmm. Shows will have later, later episodes, later yeah. episodes of the season. Absolutely. You start once you, once you, you know, have seen them mm -hmm. and you're watching dailies or you're on set, then you can start to hear their voice in your mm -hmm. head. Um, you know, when you, when you write those characters, it's hugely helpful. Right. Um, specifically as a showrunner, like I know a lot of, a lot of showrunners are on set, but then a lot of showrunners are not always on set you know they'll have somebody you know from the staff on set you know usually right. senior upper level plus maybe the writer who wrote that episode but, mm -hmm. um how important is to you i mean not just for this show but all the shows you've worked on for you to be on set it's important to have a writer on set i always want to have a writer on set sometimes it's not possible mm -hmm. um but i always want it um and obviously when you're working a on a broadcast schedule you can't be on set all right. the time because you're breaking new episodes and writing and doing the many showrunner jobs mm -hmm. and being on set is, is not a luxury you have when you're doing, you know, a, a full season that is right behind you mm -hmm. in production as you're still breaking story. Um, it's, it's great to be on set. It's hard. You know, I, I have nothing but admiration for the crews and the people who, you know, and actors and people who work these hours all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's really rewarding and you really get to put to, to fine tune, mm -hmm. uh, which when you are running the show, I've, I've worked on shows before um, shows that ended up getting canceled, unfortunately, where I never went to set because set was in Toronto oh. and I was in LA and there was so much to do because a show was imploding that I couldn't get out, mm -hmm. you know, to set. And, and I look back on those with regret because that's something I should have done at that time, hmm. you know, um, was get out there and, and spend some time with those actors. And there was so much going on back, you know, at home base that I didn't think there was enough time and, and I should have made time. Right. That makes sense. Um, Himson Chan says, even as an established showrunner, are there certain people you turn to for notes or help improve your work? 
Um, yeah, I mean, there are there are uh, uh, friends and you know representatives, agents, and managers, and people who who will read something to you and give you an, an honest opinion. It's it's got to be people you trust. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, uh, my wife and I exchange everything mm-hmm. that we that we you know that we write um, uh, with original material, particularly or a new pilot or you know something like that. If it's mm-hmm. not something we're working on together, we talk about it um, a lot. So it's nice to have a person that you can rely on to kind of go back and forth with and we'll give you an honest opinion and, you know, someone who's not afraid to say, you know what, I think you could do better. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a hard thing to hear. Yeah. Um, Romeo says, has there been a script scene? So a, a scene you wrote in a script to transition to film transition to where you shot it, that stumped you or maybe stumped you uh, like this scene might not work or isn't translating. Well, if yes, how did you work around that? Oh, all the time. I mean, you know, part of part of the writing process is kind of figuring what goes in and what is out of a show, whether it's adapting material or it's original material. Do we really need this scene? You know, if we don't, let's not put it in, because for the most part, you know, scenes that you're writing should be important toward advancing your story, advancing your character development, mm-hmm. moving a story arc along. Um, and if it's something that you can do without you know, sometimes there's something you can do that's off the spine of your story, but it's such a wonderful moment that you want to have it in the show. And it may be one of the things that, that it's, it's remembered for. Right. Um, but yeah, it's always about trying to figure out like, what's the, what's the best way to get from point A to point B? Um, and what's the most, the most kind of fun, entertaining, scary, comedic, dramatic, you know, path to, to get you there. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. Feld's path says as a showrunner, how late in development are you brought in, especially for existing IP? Well, I mean, just in general, what, you know, I'm sure it varies project to project. Very early in the process. Um, either if I'm writing the pilot very early in the process, um, sometimes later though. Um, and I have also done a job or two where I have come in very, very late in because they were changing showrunners. And that is a tough, gig. It's, it's good if you can kind of get the show back on its feet, but it's very, very difficult because you're dealing with the dysfunction that happened before you got there and you're dropping, you're parachuting in to kind of, you know, take over and keep things running smoothly while they're in process and you didn't set any of it up. Mm-hmm. That is incredibly difficult. And directors have to do that as well. Sometimes, you know, they'll have to come in and, you know, say, Hey, we're, we're in trouble on this mm-hmm. one. Come in and please tell us, you know, reshoot this for us so that we can, you know, try to, try to figure this out. Uh, Let's see here. Here's one. Now this is maybe sort of one of those questions that's digging a little bit, although they, um, I I just, I'm going to throw it out there anyway, to see where it sticks. It says, how does one evaluate if you should do CGI for a character or use a high quality puppet, like the Netflix show, the dark crystal? I don't know if that's something that you could even sort of no, get into. The effects, the effects are, it's a very, very interesting question because mm. um, there's, there's no right answer. Um, there are better answers and worse, worse answers, certainly. Um, visual effects are very expensive, mm-hmm. you know? And so, um, you know, it's the same question nowadays. It's like, you know, if you can afford it, do you shoot in the volume, um, you know, and, or do you go on location mm-hmm. for something? It's like, what's the best way to do a show? And when you have, visual effects characters, it's always a tricky dance to figure out what's going to look great and what you can afford, mm-hmm. you know? And if you're making, you know, if you have a, a big feature budget, that's one thing. 
if you have a big television budget, that's great, but it's not a big feature budget. And if you have a small feature budget, forget it. You're just not getting getting those that CG character in. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's you, you got to be really clever um, and sort of know your way around the visual effects. You know, uh, ups and downs. Um, but there's no there's no right answer to it. It's 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 all dependent on money and time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phantom says, can he tell us the story of how he got involved with One Piece live action? I don't know if you can talk about how I, you I got cannot. involved. <laughs> I can't uh, talk about it at all. Sorry. Uh, let's see here. Glenn Chusaint. Hey, Glenn. Uh, tell Netflix they need a trailer show starring Kevin as the hype man. Well, thank you, Glenn. Um, uh, Loggy Doggy, do you think television has become the superior medium for storytelling? Uh, it's really interesting. I think yeah. television is making a lot of high quality uh, shows right now. I don't know that it's superior. I, I mean, you know, I still like going to a movie and, you know, seeing a great feature um, at the theater, you know, so I don't know it's, if it's necessary, necessarily superior, but it is, the, the, there's a lot more parody, I think, mm-hmm. than, there, than there used to be. Um, and particularly, I think the, the jobs, especially the cable and streaming jobs, uh, our line producer um, uh, said, and I absolutely agree with him. These are the these are the toughest jobs in television hmm. because or, I'm sorry, the toughest jobs in kind of scripted entertainment um, to do kind of high caliber cable and streaming because you are trying to you're you're operating on kind of a feature uh, schedule in a lot of ways, but without a feature budget. Um, and you're putting out in, in, you know, if you're doing eight, 10, 13 episodes, you're putting out that many hours of content. Whereas on a high end feature, you may be shooting that same length of time and putting out two hours or two and a half hours Mm -hmm. that you can really fine tune and spend your time and and make it an extravaganza. Um, we cannot afford to do that for sure. We're, we're, when you're, when you're making, you know, multiple hours of a season, it does not. You you it, it it's it doesn't really stack up to a, a high budget feature mm-hmm. um, as far as the type of visual effects you can do, for example. And yet you will be compared to those shows because the audience doesn't care. Right. That one is a, a TV series and one is a feature. They just want to see it good. They want mm-hmm. it to look as you know, as good as the Marvel movie. Um, and that's very tough. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, here's something that I think is interesting. Uh, Romeo asks is, if there's a significant culture difference in play in a script you're writing, like humor, for example, uh, how do you make it work for an international audience? Which is very interesting because humor is very different between different cultures. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, I think you have to ultimately just kind of hear your inner voice um, as to whether something is funny or something is thrilling or, you know, it's, it's good to be culturally sensitive for mm-hmm. sure. You don't want to offend someone by, um, you know, throwing in stereotypes. Right. But at the same time, um, you know, so much of the audience is international and you just have to go with your, with your gut. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on, on those ideas and listen, you know, and learn, um, you know, things that, that may, you know, be appropriate in North America or not appropriate in South America. Right. You know? And so just to have a, a, Sensitivity to that, I think, is really important. But ultimately, I think you're always just trying to not necessarily think of, I have to really please the audience in Germany, you know, or <laughs> in, in, you know, in China or somewhere. Mm-hmm. It's, it's if you're if you're working on a, sh- a 
show that has international, hopefully international appeal, mm -hmm. you do the best show you can. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and let your instincts guide you and hope that audiences from around the world were, are going to gravitate toward that. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, but learn, you know, learn about these other cultures, about other cultures as well, so that, you know, you're not, um, you know, operating in a vacuum. Right, right. That makes sense. Um, Sabello Toda too says, what's the hardest thing to adapt from one medium to another? Not necessarily talk about OP. Um, just, yeah, what, what I'm, I'm sure it, it varies, right? Going from one medium to another. Uh, it's, it's always tough going from one medium to another, no matter what, if it's a novel, if it's a, a comic, if it's, you know, um, it's those, those, um, uh, any kind of, you know, adapting an old show, an old television show or an old movie into something is, is tremendously difficult because it's been done. You know, and it has its own audience, uh, uh, you know, that, that enjoyed the original material. Um, right. And you, but, but if it's done well, you know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, when I started watching Game of Thrones, I did not know what Game of Thrones was. And I watched the pilot and I went, oh my God, this is really cool. It's based on books. I want to read those books. And so as I was watching the first season of Game of Thrones, I just devoured as much of the books as I could get my hands on. And saw that they were different in some ways, that they were very similar. Some of it was very faithful, some of it wasn't. Uh, but that was an example of the, you know, it was an interpretation of those stories that I was like, wow, this is really cool. And it drove me to read the books, which were cool in their own right. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, yeah, it's always challenging. Any, anytime you're adapting anything, and I've done a lot of adaptations um, uh, for pilots and, you know, um, coming in on shows and mm -hmm. it's tough, you know, yeah. but also really rewarding because you have this wealth of source material mm -hmm. that you can draw on. That's true. Um, let's see here. I don't know if you can answer. It's not really specific, but Jediah says, have you been inspired by the new technology being used on TV now, like the Mandalorian? You know, I, I've seen where the Mandalorian, they have like that VFX yeah, that's, what, that's what I was talking about, like the choice to yeah. shoot something mm -hmm. uh, on location or to shoot it in the volume capture, you know, yeah. um, I am curious about it. I think it is wonderful looking. Mm -hmm. um, it certainly, you know, would allow you to not be halfway around the world, but at the same time, um, there is something wonderful about um, standing, standing in, in a in a location or on a set. Yeah. Well, um, I saw the the uh, uh, behind the scenes thing that you guys put out with you standing on set, and it the, the sets look amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing. So, uh, and I'm not spoiling anything. You everyone can just go watch it. I, I you saw you post it, and it's on on YouTube, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, it's got to be completely different than uh, where you have a 360 screen and they're just standing in a. Yeah, I've never shot anything on that volume mm -hmm. uh, stage. Uh, I, I am curious about it, but mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, it, it's it's. Uh, I think the volume stage is better than a big green screen stage for mm -hmm. sure, um, because you know you're running around with with just a bunch of green boxes and and you know and and big green scrims around you. Um, so I'd be curious. I, I, I you know I definitely would like to. I, I'm sure that there will be a lot of that to come in the future and a lot of discussion about you know. For a show, do you do that or do you um, do you actually go, you know, and build sets and, and go on location somewhere? Right, right. 
Um, BFH Designs is what writers inspired you to become a writer? Oh gosh, um, I when, when I was a, a reader, um, I got to read a lot of kind of classic scripts that were in mm -hmm. our script library. And so, um, you know, reading William Goldman, if you want to right. be inspired, read William Goldman. I mean, you know, just such a wonderful and seemingly effortless mm -hmm. style of writing, very visual, very quippy, mm -hmm. um, just magnificent, you know? Um, but, you know, reading old scripts, scripts are, are kind of an, I think an unappreciated art form in a lot of ways, because so many of them are, you, you never actually get to read a script when you watch something that's already been produced. Right. Um, and there is such wonderful language and such wonderful moments that, that good writers can give you. Um, you know, they, they really should kind of have their own. It's like, it's, it's admiring an architect's plans, but at the same time, it's, it, it gives you the, you see the, the skeleton and the bones starting to, and the flesh starting to come on to these, you know, what, what ended up being a great movie or a great TV show. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, that's a long answer, but. <laughs> uh, Chris Zorinder says, TV is a very visual medium. How much do you consider uh, cinematographical aspects, cinematography when writing yeah. a script? Like, do you consider all the visual stuff when you're writing your scripts? Yes, very, very much so. And some people do not. There are, there are writers who, who don't write visually, but they mm -hmm. write wonderful dialogue and they create moments and, you know, it, it's something for them to figure out when they direct or for a director to figure out. Mm -hmm. uh, I have always liked kind of, and it's it, some directors don't like this, but I have always liked writing visually and saying where I want the camera to point and what I want to reveal mm -hmm. and, and when. And I always tell directors, hey, you don't have to do that, but that's a suggestion. And that's mm -hmm. the moment that I think that we want to be going for within that scene when there's a, 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 a where camera comes around or drops back or something and we reveal something or, hey, here's a really cool way into the scene. If you've got a better cool way into the scene, fantastic. Mm -hmm. But here's you know, in my mind's eye, this is what I was saying. And the director will never do exactly what's in the script. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. You know, as long as they are, you know, capturing the same moment that you wanted to capture, it's great. Yeah. Yes, I, I am. And, and, and I like writers who are very visual. Mm -hmm. Well, good. Um, Aria says, do you see the benefits of working with Netflix rather than other companies? I, I'm going to assume, you know, <laughs> streaming services, uh, you know, in general yeah. offer you different. And you I, talked about I, the schedules. I, I, I love my, uh, my team at Netflix, um, <laughs> truly. And um, um, it's, it's, it is the executives, um, by and large, that I've worked with are very passionate people who love what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's great working with them. It's aggravating working with them. Um, because again, it's like, you know, no one wants to be told that they need to do more work, but you know, if that, if those answers are, are correct and you've got to assume that sometimes they are, mm -hmm. you know, you want smart, nice people to be, to be working with you and, and, you know, a good, uh, professional team at any network, you mm -hmm. know, it's, it, it really, it really comes down to what is the what is the the the, the content that they're looking for at that particular network. Um, executives can be wonderful at a broadcast network. They can be wonderful at a streamer, mm -hmm. uh, or they can be bad at either place as well. But 
Um, it's, it's, you know, trying to, everyone's trying to interpret what, what, what does this network do? What does this studio do in putting out a movie? Um, and here, here's what our boss wants to, wants to, you know, the, the type of movie that they want to make, the type of TV series that they want to make. Okay, let's do that. Let's figure out a way to do that, you know, and we're going to interpret that in our own way, but we're going to try to give you something that you really want and that you're excited about. Right. Um, now, without getting into too many details specifically, so we don't want to get in, in trouble, uh, what are some tropes, pes, or let's see, um, Pesqua, Pesquiet, Pesquier, uh, asks, what are some tropes that you aren't a big fan of? Example, the chosen one trope or love triangles? Um, I don't know. Oh, if you, you can... know what? You know what? I think, um, I think tropes, uh, there's something really interesting about tropes. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have like tropes off the top of my head that I hate. Mm-hmm. Um, a trope is a trope because it works. Right. That doesn't mean you should do it. But a lot of times the first solution that you'll come up with or the first version of something you'll come up with will be the tried and true. Mm-hmm. And then it's your job to kind of look at it and say, okay, is this as cool as I think it is? Because it's just like this other you know, movie or this other show or, okay, this is going to be expected because it is the trope. And what's a way that we can defeat that? What's a way that we can mm-hmm. twist it or turn it on its head or not do that and do the unexpected thing so that people will think they're, you know, the really rewarding thing is kind of figuring stuff out about a show as you, as you watch it. Um, but what you really want to do is get them thinking, oh, they're going here and then flip it and go in another direction. And then, mm-hmm. then it, and that's such a rewarding experience for me when I'm watching something and I'm like, okay, I see where this is headed. Oh no, they didn't. They didn't right. do that. They caught me um, because people are smart and they've watched a lot of, you know, TV and movies and they want to be able to kind of play along. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sabello Toda too asks, what do you think are your strengths and weaknesses as a showrunner? Best of luck with OP. Can't wait to see it. That's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think, um, I think I, uh, strength wise, I think structure is something mm-hmm. I'm really good at. I think kind of, uh, setting up and paying off, um, Character work and theme work is something that I really enjoy doing. Um, dialogue is something that I've always struggled with. I have to write the bad version of the dialogue to go, okay, that sucked. Now let's write the good version of the dialogue. Um, it's not a natural thing that just that comes to me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as far as, as, as writing goes, um, that's where I think I sort of live is the ability. And that's one of the nice things about running a show too, is to be able to step back and say, okay, here is the raw material of this original idea or this, this IP material. What's the, where's the show? Where's the show in that? What's, what's a great start to that? Where are we, how far are we going to go in this book? You know, how far are we going to go? Is it, is it just a season or is it more than one? Mm-hmm. Where are we going to start? What's the end of our pilot going to be? What's going to happen in the middle? What's going to happen at the end? And are there some other kind of interstitial breaking points where we can throw in a big surprise? We can, take the characters in a direction where you think, Oh my God, all is lost. And then kind of resurrect them and, mm-hmm. and, and let them still win the day. What's the, what's a cool corner that I can paint myself in that, um, that it's like, there's no way out of that. You are, you have completely screwed yourself and still get out of it and come up with something clever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's the fun stuff. I think. It's mm-hmm. cool. Um, Loggy Doggy says, has the streaming era allowed for more creative freedom in writing or has it restricted it? I think anytime that you're doing, you know, uh, kind of high caliber writing work, Mm -hmm. it's good. 
you know? And I think, I, I feel like the streaming era has really allowed a lot of really different shows to be made and, right. and shows that are sort of, everything doesn't have to be a gigantic appeal to everyone. Mm-hmm. Shows can have a, you know, you can make a show that has what you think is a limited appeal and it can bust out and become a big hit. Right. Um, but I think that, that the demand for content right now is, uh, uh, there's a lot out there right now. And some people would say too much out there, but I think the demand for content is a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly for writers, it's an opportunity to tell all sorts of different kinds of stories, to tell stories um, uh, that are more, a little more niche, a little more um, diverse, um, and just represent more different points of view. Yeah, no, that's great. That's true. And uh, um, let's see here. Majeldi Van, you are an amazing host. Well, thank you. Um, Nickel Hugs, uh, with how much the industry is growing, writers struggle to be original. What would you say is something that makes a script original? I mean, I guess other than the definition of it's not being based on IP, but like. Right, right, right. Um, unique I suppose. it's a good question i think that i think that originality is tough because truly original ideas are difficult to get up and running because they're truly original and mm-hmm. you don't have anything to compare it to like saying oh this is like this meets that mm-hmm. um which which goes a long way in getting people invested in okay this idea might work because it's similar to that idea that was successful or it's based on a best-selling a uh, book or, you know, uh, a, a hit TV show that we can now make a feature version of or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know that there's an answer to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mooney Nice says, how did you become a showrunner? Because we talked about your earlier career yeah. and obviously your showrunning career. And some showrunners got their break because they were on a show long enough and they were just sort of offered the role. And then some right. continually work at it to try to get that job. For, what was it like for you? Uh, my very first showrunning uh, gig, uh, I was co-showrunner on Lie to Me, mm-hmm. and I I just went in and interviewed for it, and oh. um, they gave me a shot. And, yeah. you know, I had been working for a number of years. Um, I had done a lot of co-EP work. I had, you know, um, worked on a number of shows, and God bless them, they gave me a shot. Was um, it a situation, so I'm assuming... Did you have a relationship with uh, an executive there or with no, anyone? No, not particularly. I had met them certainly before mm-hmm. and worked on their shows, um, but it wasn't like there was anyone who was looking out for me or anything oh, like okay. that. I, I think I had some good agenting and, mm-hmm. um, and got the opportunity to go in and interview. And right. um, based on my past credits on, on the interview, um, I was able to, to get that job. Right. Okay. That's great. Um, let's see here. Chris Wood, what does a typical day look like for a showrunner? Although I assume there's not many. That's a really good question. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, a typical day, depending on if you're in the room, you know, and, and production hasn't started yet, then you're spending your six or eight hours, you know, in the room talking about story, talking about an episode, um, doing character breakdowns, you know, and, and talking about uh, moments you want in the show it gets much more complex when the show is in production. Um, if you're, especially if you're involved and on set, um, I would say the typical day when you're in production is, you know, there's definitely production that you have to oversee, especially if you're shooting more than one unit, Mm -hmm. there is post that is open on multiple episodes because, you know, the post usually trails by a couple of weeks. Um, 
the the dailies that you're sending in. And then once an episode is finished, you're now in post on that episode, mm -hmm. recutting it, incorporating notes. So you've got anywhere from, you know, one to four to six episodes that you've got going uh, open and post that all need notes. And you got to keep those editors working because mm -hmm. there are deadlines that you have to turn around mm -hmm. and turn things in on. And then there are, you know, if there's more rewrites and things to do for the show because notes have come in or because, um, you know, you have to reshoot something or whatever it is, you are, um, you're doing pages. So it's a, it's a real time management job um, as you get into production because there are too many places to be. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really fun and, and rewarding because, you know, it's important that you be at all those things, but you just have to kind of pick and choose and, you know, work with good partners and, right. uh, you know, have, have good lines of communication with people. And that's why you were talking about earlier where a writer's job is to make the showrunner's job easier because you yeah. have just a, an immense amount of different balls you're juggling at the same time. So if somebody yeah. can come in and help juggle one or two of those with you, so you're not having 98 different balls you're juggling at the same time, then that's, yeah. that's helpful. Yeah. And if you're, if you're, um, you know, if your skill set is, is, Hey, you know what, I can, I can turn in a great first cut of something mm -hmm. that's really useful. If your skill set, if you, if you are able to, you know, take a junior, uh, you know, a lesser experienced writer script and do a pass on that and get something closer to production friendly, that's a really good mm -hmm. thing. If you're really good on set and you enjoy it and you, you know, um, uh, like working, you know, in proximity with the actors and the director, that's a really useful thing. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're good at, you know, there are any, there's so many different jobs um, that, and, and, and no one's good at everything. So, you know, and even if you are, there are certain favorite things that you like to do and certain things that are just mm -hmm. like, ah, it's necessary evil. I have to do this as part of my job. Um, but there, yeah, there are so many things that need to be done. There's, there's really a job for everyone, you know, right. multiple jobs for everyone. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they need to be done because, you are um, so overwhelmed. There's so much to do. Um, and, and money is being spent every day on while you're in production and while you have episodes open in post and you're trying to make decisions for visual effects, you're trying to make decisions for music. Um, mm. it's, it's, it's really juggling all of that stuff while the show is ongoing. Right. No, absolutely. A lot of fun, but very challenging. Um. Romeo asks, how many writers can work on a script that balances out the different thinking and thoughts so it doesn't get chaotic? It's a good question. Um, it, it depends. I think that on comedy shows, uh, you know, where you see a lot of writers' names on scripts, mm -hmm. it's, it's more of kind of a real like punch-up room sort of mentality. I don't have a ton of experience with that. Um, usually it's um, usually the person who starts a script who is assigned a, a script on staff sometimes it's two people. Mm -hmm. Usually it's one or two though, who will start a script um, and hopefully take it all the way through to the finish. But a lot of times um, uh, part of my job is to rewrite. And so, you know, you do the best you can, you hope you get as close as possible. And then you try to do that voice pass or that final pass to kind of get everything in line. So it all feels like it's coming from the same place. Right. Right. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. That happens all the time. Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple questions that are OP or OP adjacent, but they feel fairly innocuous. So I'm just going to run them by you. If you can't answer, you can't answer. Well, you know, we've already made the disclaimer. You can't talk too much about it. Uh, one is being, do you guys think that live action would be better than an anime? 
the reason I'm asking in, in to see is at, at any point, did you ever like in the early process think animation versus live action or was that never a concern? You just, this was originally originated I, as a live action. I can't talk about One Piece in regard to that, but um, I certainly think that there are, there are, there are animated shows that are mm -hmm. so wonderful that I just wonder what the live action version. I, I, I wonder about the live action version. Mm -hmm. uh, Perfect example, and no no offense meant to anybody who's working on you know the live action Attack on Titan, you know. Mm. But I'm just like, wow, how in the world if they pull it off, it's going to be marvelous, right? You know. But the animated show is so good. Right. The anime is so good. It's like, wow, I wonder how they're going to pull that off, right? You know. And so it's it's one of those things where you know, hey, I'll go see it and I'll be pleasantly surprised and you know, love every minute of it. I hope. Mm -hmm. I mean, but, uh, to touch base on that. Go, sorry, go you ahead. Know, when you have a, when you have a, an idea that you're trying to develop, mm -hmm. you can certainly take it down an animation road or you can take it down a live action road. Mm -hmm. Usually it's something that is like um, that there's not already an anime of, because if there is, why are you remaking the anime right. as an animated show? Unless you're going to be able to put a lot more money into it. Mm -hmm. uh, and there, there, you know, um, but yeah, certainly when you have something that is a big world building type of show, and there's so much of that out there right now, mm -hmm. um, especially in kind of the YA space, but, but there's a lot of big world building, you know, Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones prequels and stuff like that, right. you know, with those obviously are going to be live action with certain things. You've got to say to yourself, all right, this is going to be so expensive to make, you know, as a live action, do we actually take this comic or this book and do it as an animated piece instead? That's, mm -hmm. it's very valid. And there are, you know, animation is wonderful. And can pull the same, you know, emotional cards as live action can. It's just mm -hmm. different. Media. Yeah. And I know Star Wars and Star Trek have both dabbled in both, right? There's a lot of yeah. Star Trek and Star Wars live sure. action, but then there's an animated component as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, but I do remember Napoleon Dynamite was a film, great film. They mm -hmm. made a half hour animated series about it and it didn't do well. Uh, and, I, and I can see why it was still funny and there was... But as a sitcom, it was different because I think a lot of the appeal to Napoleon Dynamite was, the, you know, uh, the actor. Actors, yeah. Yeah. And then the, their facial yeah. expression, which you just can't capture in an animated form. And uh, as right. well as rushing it in a half hour because it was a slow burn as a film. Um, yeah. But anyway, that's just a side note there. Um, yeah. The other one that I feel is fairly innocuous, which I don't know if you know, uh, but Wele 1991 says, when can we expect a trailer for One Piece? I can't say anything. About okay, no, I just didn't know if there was a specific date set aside or anything like that. I, can't, I, I, I can I can I can either confirm or deny anything. Fair and fair enough. Fair enough. Um, let's see here. Uh, Jonathan Ian has a question, but I don't know if we can answer it in terms of how do you decide what makes to the adaptation versus what needs to be changed by the source material. Um, let's see here. Uh, what else? Just kind of scrolling with so many questions. We're uh, we're almost at two hours here, and I know you probably have a lot of stuff to do on your day or a showrunner. Um, even though it's your Saturday, we appreciate you you doing that. Here's right, yeah, uh, I do I do have to jump soon. So yeah, seriously, DM. What kind of projects would you like to work on in the future? I mean, I I, I like the big world building stuff. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, mm -hmm. But I am really wide open um, right now. Um, I I love the cable streaming space. Um, and uh, I think there's so much wonderful uh, work being done. Mm -hmm. 
and the fact that it was such a demand for content, I, I just, again, I, I love genre. That's, that's kind of my, my favorite go-tos mm-hmm. are something with a genre component to it. Um, but not always, it's just something, you know, if something appeals to me, it appeals to me. Right. Uh, let's see here. I'm trying to find some new individuals. Let's say, uh, do, 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 do. Here's from someone from uh, Blink Cheshire. I've always wondered why would some shows cut out on the episodes count? For example, if a show was told to have 10 episodes, but somehow the episodes decrease to eight, why does that happen? I, um, I mean, it, I, I would say any show, um, your network is going to tell you how many episodes you're doing. Right. You know, um, and it just depends on what their model is. Um, you know, when you're, when you're working in broadcast, you know, if you're, if you get a false start, chances are they're going to want you to do, you know, 20 plus. Mm-hmm. If you get that, that spring slot, you know, the, or the, the winter spot, you know, you start in January, you're clearly not going to be able to do 20. You're going to do 13 or, you know, even fewer nowadays in the broadcast model. And with cable and streaming, it's depends on where you work. You know, if you're, if you're at a place that does 13, you're probably going to do 13s. If you're at a place that does eight to 10, mm-hmm. you're going to be doing that. Um, and it just all depends on, you know, I mean, uh, the, I look at the last ep- the last season of Stranger Things and it was like, oh, there were, I think there were nine or seven, mm-hmm. but they were extra long. So right. I think this is, is dependent on the show. It's dependent on the network that is at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you also, also see once in a while, you'll see uh, two shorter seasons, like two, eight episodes, like season yeah, yeah, yeah. seven, part one and part two, because that way they don't have to promote people and give races and things like that. They called the one longer season, a season instead of two small, shorter seasons kind of thing. Right, right, right. Um, uh, maybe yeah, I, don't know, last... I don't know what the reason is for that, but, but it also could just be production. It could be financial, um, wanting stuff to, to, you know, um, slot into two separate financial quarters. Mm. It could be that the show's not ready. And especially with COVID, that's something that that's that's been a really interesting. Uh, there were no COVID questions. It is it is hairy and tough to shoot during. I remember at the at the uh, uh, a couple of years ago when when COVID first hit, and I got on a showrunner panel with some doctors and virologists, and nobody knew anything. It's like, how is this going to work? How right. is this testing going to work? What's it going to be like shooting? What what's it going to look like? And now I can say I know exactly how it works, having done it. Mm-hmm. Um, a while but it's such an it it's it's it slows everything down it just makes everything that much harder mm-hmm. um to do and then of course you always have um uh, as you have weather complications you have illness complications mm-hmm. and so things that affect your schedule and things that affect um you know shows around the world and, and movies are dealing with you know the last couple of years and how much harder it is to shoot right i've I read just recently, didn't The Witcher shut down because Henry Cavill got COVID, I think, right? I didn't know. I didn't hear anything about that. I think that, that was just recently, that, like this week. Yeah. If, if, if you think about it, though, it's like, you know, what can you do if, if your lead actor has COVID? That's, right. you know. Or, or uh, any actor that's, I mean, yeah, other than exactly. having to juggle too many scenes, moving things around, if it's, even if right. it's a, a supporting actor, that could be very confusing and, and troublesome. Yeah, it's definitely a, a new complication mm-hmm. uh, that makes just makes things... That might, a little bit harder. Right. Um, maybe one last question and then we'll let you get to your Saturday. We appreciate your time. Uh, let's see here. Miel D. Van says, what tips would you give uh, about writing the first episode of a series? How do you hook the audience in the beginning? Which is that what is we talked about. That is a really here. good question. That's yeah. a really good question. First episodes, uh, pilot episodes have to do so much 
because you have to introduce people to your characters, mm -hmm. uh, who your main characters are. You have to introduce people to a world, mm -hmm. um, particularly if you are doing world creating and it's not set at like, you know, a, a precinct in the Bronx or something. And even then you are having to set up a precinct in the Bronx. Mm -hmm. um, the, the pilots, pilots are incredibly complicated because you, there is so much heavy lifting that they have to do. Um, and so I think the key is to a, any pilot is figuring out what to put in, what to put out, you know, is that something that you absolutely need to get, because, because a lot of people are also going to make the decision in any pilot about whether they want to keep watching or not. And so there's tremendous pressure on a pilot to perform and to keep drawing people in and moving, you know, moving them forward into, into subsequent episodes. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's tough. It's, it's, there's no right answer to how to do it. I think it's about picking and choosing the, storylines you want to put in a pilot mm -hmm. um, so that you are establishing what the show is um, and introducing your characters. That's like right. the biggest part of it is like you want people to be intrigued and ultimately to fall in love with these characters and want to spend time with them, whether they're likable or not. You want to be able to spend time, you know, you're setting up characters that you are, you want people to have repeat viewing on these characters. It's like, oh, they're doing something new, but mm -hmm. I really like those guys. So I want to see, I want to see more of that. Um, it's one of the hardest Pilot writing is so much harder than writing any other um, any other episode because there is so much to set up and you can't rely on anything that's happened before because nothing has happened before. Right, absolutely. Um, thank you for your time today, Steve. I sure, really appreciate you. it. Uh, yeah, calling, you. Know, calling in from South Africa and I know you're busy working, you're in the middle of your show. Um, taking the time i appreciate it everyone was real respectful in in the chat not asking too many yeah, key questions which was great because i thought that that would be out of control so that was awesome so thank you guys for yeah watching. thank you everyone appreciate uh, your um, questions yeah we'd love to have you back on at some point when netflix is is you're able to speak a little bit more freely about this uh whether it's you're doing press when it before it's released or after it comes out we'd love to have you back on i'd love to have you, you back on in general but specifically for those OP uh, fans and or those who are watching specifically for that. But uh, they stuck, a lot of them stuck around, which is great, and asked questions. So um, thank you, Stephen. Uh, Steve, I'm going to uh, wrap it up here. Um, so thank you all for watching and for spending part of your Saturday with us. We will see you next time.